Hello everyone and welcome to Reason for Hope once again. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided for the most part by your questions. That's right, you can send your questions in through our various uh, social media, etc. platforms and we will delve into the Bible to find those answers. So if you have a question on scripture, maybe a specific verse or passage of scripture, maybe even uh, other religions or worldviews, maybe something going on in your own life and world, you'd like a biblical perspective, any honest question, um, knowing that we're going to dive into the Bible to find the answers, that's what we're here about. Uh, that's what we're all here about at Reason for Hope, so <laughs> something like that. <laughs> that's what we're here for. That's what we're about. Here we are, Reason for Hope. Thank you for joining us. Um, my name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host today and fielding those questions as they come on in with us today. Pastor Sean Richards, how are you doing today? Good. Definitely uh, looking forward to the end of this month with the Jesus Revolution movie coming out. Yes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. What is that? What is that movie? Well, you lived it. <laughs> well, you lived I, it. are you in it? I, I kind of got in on the, uh, I'm not in it. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of people who are. Which you is, should be, yeah. Boy, I'm really looking forward to this movie because the Jesus Revolution is about how um, the Jesus movement got going through a little country church on the edge of town, as Chuck Gerard <laughs> once sang. Uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, was a church of 17 people, eight of which uh, were Pastor Chuck Smith's family at one point. Mm. Uh, he and his wife, Kay, uh, got a burden for the hippies that they saw uh, all over Orange County at that time. They just seemed so lost, and uh, the church seemed so inadequate as far as being able to reach out to them. And, uh, and so uh, they asked their daughter if she knew anyone who was a hippie, and they were introduced to a young man by the name of Lonnie Frisbee, believe it or not, uh, who ended up uh, coming to know the Lord and being used in an a incredibly powerful way uh, between he and Chuck Smith uh, to ignite what was known as the Jesus Movement. It mm -hmm. became just an incredible revival. Uh, Literally millions of people's lives were changed as a result of all of that. And so the Jesus Revolution tells the story. Greg Laurie, who was uh, front row center for these events, obviously, kind of tells his story of his conversion and uh, how he got involved with all of that. Uh, and uh, I've seen some previews. Kelsey Grammer from Cheers and yep. a number of other uh, TV programs that we have, Frazier and others, uh, is going to play Chuck Smith. And as uh, someone who knows Chuck Smith, pretty well. It was very interesting to me to see someone playing Chuck Smith. Yeah. In fact, uh, we saw another clip uh, just last night uh, where uh, uh, Chuck was introduced to uh, Lonnie Frisbee, uh, this hippie of hippies, and uh, <laughs> Chuck was all upset and wanted to know where his daughter Je Jeanette was, and he was just, and Jeanette was right there, and, and we know Jeanette as well, so it's just kind of a, an odd thing watching yeah. Uh, you know, these things being portrayed with people that you actually know. So I'm sure it's going to be somewhat of a uh, freaky experience. But everything I've seen uh, and everything I've heard of, there was another clip of Kelsey Grammer talking about the film on uh, The Tonight Show uh, with Jimmy Fallon. Mm, uh, Jimmy great. Fallon was very respectful about it all. But, uh, but Kelsey Grammer said that he was interested in doing another movie, but he wanted to do one that would be uh, definitely impactful. And I uh, was thinking about it uh, late one night, and uh, lo and behold, the uh, script for the Jesus Revolution showed up in his door the next day, and he decided to go ahead and do it. Mm. Uh, he, I think he does a tremendous job of portraying Chuck Smith, yeah. uh, which is really kind of an odd thing, <laughs> as I say. <laughs> but uh, really looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, coming out, I think, on the 22nd 
of uh, February uh, and uh, coming to theaters near you. Uh, there's a group of us that are going to go, I believe, on the 24th, which is a Sunday. On the Sunday, and, yeah. Uh, and we're going to see the 345 show. Right, up in Oro uh, Valley. So, uh, yeah, and uh, really excited uh, about that. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's the kind of movie uh, that not only uh, people should go to if they want to find a little bit about the background and the history of Calvary Chapel. That's one a- angle on it. Yep. Uh, another angle is how God uh, uses the most unlikely people to change the world. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen repeated in the interviews uh, regarding this film, and Greg Laurie himself has talked about how the conditions with Generation Z, as they call it, and uh, the uh, way the world is right now, very uh, much parallel to the conditions mm. that launched the Jesus movement. I think there's just a lot of hunger mm. in people's hearts to really know what truth is all about, yep. to have something uh, that uh, is real love, not just user-oriented uh, love, uh, that there's more to life than stimulating your nerve endings. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that hunger that came out of the hippie movement that promised so much and delivered so little, I think we're seeing the same in, you know, our culture, whether it's social media, whether it's uh, the drug culture. Uh, whether it's uh, materialism, these sort of things are leaving people empty. And I think people are going to be very, very much open yeah. uh, to the message. So if you know somebody that's kind of in that uh, that frame of mind, mm-hmm. I'd encourage uh, you to invite them on out to all that. Uh, for me personally, I came to Christ at a Billy Graham film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think uh, movies can be something that God can really use uh, to speak to people's hearts. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord's going to do there. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the Jesus movement, the movie coming out within within a month. Uh, very exciting. Well, that was Scott Richards you heard. I didn't quite get to introduce him, but <laughs> Scott yeah. Richards, he's the... <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> that was him. Uh, he's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, uh, where we're broadcasting from today. And, and as I said, Sean Richards, father, son, team, and myself here with you today. So, well, uh, before we go any further, let me... Uh, just explain to you how you can be part of the broadcast. Obviously, if you're hearing me, you've already found a way to do that. But as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in uh, Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. And of course, you can join us all around the world through the internet, whatever time that is uh, for you. Uh, it is an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. And so you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. And if you go to that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. When we're on air, you'll see the video right there. You'll see a chat function. You can sign in with a username and be part of the, the chat. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to the next time we'll be online. And you'll see a schedule there as well, not just uh, Reason for Hope, but also our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We have a Wednesday evening service and three Sunday morning services. Um, so being Wednesday today, we'll be going live just half an hour after the show uh, for our service. And you'll be able to join us for that if you want to stick around. Uh, that's ccftucson.online.church if you want to go to that direct link. Or again, follow the link from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. We're on Facebook as well, as well, of course, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson. I'm sure you're familiar with Facebook. Uh, don't forget to like and to share. We'd love to reach your, um, your sphere of people. If you want to share us around, if you've been blessed, we'd appreciate that. But you can jump on the chat function there as well and send your questions in that way. Uh, we have an app as well. If you go to your app store on your mobile device, whether it's iPhone or Android, you'll see that Calvary Chapel Dove logo right there with a the red background. That's us. Download that, and you can watch us there. Um, and also on Roku and Apple TV, we have a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So you can watch us on your TV as well. Maybe watch us on the TV and, and with your cell phone. 
have it on YouTube or something, and then you can use the chat function there. You can have all that going, something for all the family to do as you follow along. On YouTube, we're at youtube.com slash at a reason for hope 546, or just search for a reason for hope. That's a great place to go. If you missed a show or you wanted to, to uh, rewatch one of the questions, uh, Sean here kindly puts the questions that we covered in the info on the videos, so you'll be able to see what was covered. Um, so that's a great resource for you. And we have an archive of our services here as well and other events we do here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. So I um, encourage you to be familiar with Reason for Hope on YouTube. Uh, Pastor Scott here, you can follow him on Twitter. His handle is at ScottR4H, where he posts highlights from the show and uh, commentary on world events, uh, especially from like a prophetic and biblical point of view. There is so much going on in the world, crazy things, things that... Uh, Definitely calls for prayer, um, so it's very interesting to follow along with him on Twitter where he um, shares some of those things and humorous things and all kinds of things there on Twitter. So uh, follow along if you're on Twitter yourself. And last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope, all spelled out there at gmail.com. You want to use that if you're listening on the radio, you're listening to a pre-recorded version of our show. Everywhere else, the other platforms we are live as can be. But questionsforhope at gmail.com, do send us an email there with your question, and we will get to those questions as well. And once again, please send your questions in early. We, we do sometimes run out of time, so if you have a question, as long as it's an honest question, there's no dumb question, as long as it's an honest one, as long as you know we're going to delve into the Bible, you are more than welcome to send your questions along, and I'll be fielding those as they come on in. So we're excited for the next hour with you guys. And uh, Pastor yeah. Scott, would you like to pray before we go any further? We know we want to just dedicate it to the Lord and... Absolutely. We're handling his word. It's a serious thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. that's uh, definitely uh, and such a wonderful privilege because uh, uh, the Lord himself promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. So why don't we ask him mm. to do that right now? Lord, thank you that you are so intensely invested and interested in seeing your people connect with your truth. So much so, uh, you delivered it personally as you became a man and walked among us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the miracle that is. And we thank you that when we see Jesus, we see you, Father, revealed. Uh, he has seen, Jesus has seen the Father, you said. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to glorify Jesus. And, and so you do that through your word. We pray that we would experience this miracle of you guiding and directing us. We pray that uh, the scriptures that we share, uh, your words of life, Lord, your words that are so powerful and life-changing, uh, would uh, not uh, just be answers to questions, but you would use them perhaps to touch the hearts of those who are joining us on mm -hmm. this broadcast in a significant and a personal way. Uh, Lord, uh, you're so wonderful. It, it's such an awesome thing when we come across a program or, or we hear someone sharing your word, and it was the exact right scripture we needed to hear. We pray that that exact right scripture that we needed to hear phenomena would take place in this broadcast today, and you would mm -hmm. make it happen. Uh, because you are the good shepherd of the flock. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for that. Well, we have a question come in already. You want to dive right into questions? Yeah, yeah speaking yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah speak, exactly, speaking of the Holy Spirit. We have a question from Rod. Hey, Rod, thank you for, for joining the show. And once again, send your questions in on those chat, chat boxes, whatever platform you're watching on. We're going to be getting to those on this show. He asks, were Adam and Eve filled with the Holy Spirit before the fall? And I guess the general question is, what was... 
the relationship with the Holy Spirit? Was yeah. it, you know, were we indwelt or were Adam and Eve indwelt with the Holy Spirit? And yeah, it's a tricky one because essentially the answer stands or falls on a piece of information we're not told, and that is mm. what exactly is being restored after Christ's redemption? Is it to bring us back to Eden or is it introducing us to something new? Obviously, in Genesis chapter 2 and again in 3, we have evidence that Adam and Eve interacted regularly with the Lord, specifically God the Son, when he physically appeared to them and walked with them in the cool of the day. Right. And what was interesting about that interaction is just like the continued revelation of God throughout the Old Testament is when God appears to people physically, like for instance with Hagar, noting that you are the God who sees me, when he appears to Abraham and says, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me, the chapter started in Genesis 22, offer it to the Lord. It goes on and on in noting with John chapter 1 and verse 14 in mind that when we see God physically, our relationship with him, it was revealed by God the Son and that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. So given all this information, Adam and Eve obviously had a relationship with God the Son and by proxy, the Father fellowshiped with his creation through the Son. They all knew God accordingly, but they had different roles and ways that they interacted with us. The Holy Spirit, and we oftentimes mention this when relevant during the messages, is that we have more than one relationship with the Spirit going on right now, and one is just plain universal. What do I mean by that? Well, in the book of Job, and I believe it's chapter 33 and verse 4, Uh, We're told that if the Spirit of the Lord were to depart from creation, there wasn't that hands-on presence of the Holy Spirit in everything, that all life would turn to dust, that there is a maintaining work that's referenced in Revelation chapter 4, where God is responsible for not just creating, but sustaining creation. We see this started all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, taking a step beyond that, the Holy Spirit is with us simply because he's omnipresent. He's a spirit. He's not bound by physical space. So in that sense, because Adam and Eve had physical life, they were with the spirit because he was maintaining their physical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if on the other hand we ask, okay, were they filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that Jesus promised his disciples they would again in John chapter 14? And that's actually an open question. Because if they had fellowship with the Son directly, Mm. you have to ask, once again, were they in a state that, as bearing the perfect and unfallen image of God, that they, of themselves by nature, could endure that? Or were they subjected to what will one day be restored to in heaven, meaning that we'll be able to relate to God personally because of the indwelling of the Spirit, Mm. we're made righteous with God, through the fellowship of the Son, we then know the Father. And as the Father is, once again, in authority over all creation, we know him because of the Son. The Mm. Lord God and his Son, the Lamb, are in the temple and Mm. will dwell with them. So the question is, of course, asking an answer that we can't give a yes or a no to because it stands or falls on whether what Christ is doing is restoring us to fellowship with the Spirit or introducing us to something new. But... I guess the most practical aspect of this question is what will we be introduced to and also Adam and Eve upon their resurrection, what will they have with the Spirit and what do we have today? We talked about him being with us, 
but Jesus also said he will come upon us. What's the difference? Well, uh, really three interesting prepositions there that describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus said that the Spirit is with you and will be in you. The idea of the Spirit being with you is the idea that the Holy Spirit is there to work from the outside in, if you will, on our hearts. In John 16, uh, Jesus says that uh, the Holy Spirit is here to convict the world, not believers, but the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who makes God's truth uh, accessible to us. Without that miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit, the natural man doesn't receive the things of God we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They're foolishness to him. Uh, you're spiritually dead. You can't really perceive things that are alive. So the Holy Spirit is the one who shows us, first of all, that we've got a sin problem that separates us from God. Secondly, that righteousness, a right relationship with God, is available because of what Jesus has done. And finally, uh, that uh, judgment is going to take place based upon receiving or rejecting God's uh, offer of a relationship with himself. <clears throat> so that's the with us work. The in us work is the moment that we put our faith in Christ, the Lord indwells us through his spirit. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So there we see the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you is the hope of glory, according to the book of Colossians. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're not a believer at all. That's what happens at conversion. But then there's a third relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, you should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So with you to lead you to salvation in you when you receive Christ, but upon you to give you the power to be a witness, as Jesus said there. Uh, some people say, so you're saying there's another relationship with the Holy Spirit after conversion? Yeah, the coming upon power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some people will say that this is a one-shot deal. They'll speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a term that can be used to describe that coming upon power of the Spirit, but more directly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it speaks of being immersed into the body of Christ at the time of conversion. So I kind of stay away from that for clarity's sake. Best to talk about it as the coming upon or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 said, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Language there, really important for us to understand because the word filled there doesn't mean a one-shot deal. It literally means be constantly being filled mm. with the Spirit. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys bear witness with me in this that uh, some mornings we wake up and we pray and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask for his power to come upon us. But then the challenges of life come our way, and by 10 in the morning, boy, you know, we need that coming upon power again. Mm -hmm. As often as we need to ask for that coming on, upon power, uh, we should ask for it, because mm -hmm. uh, Jesus said, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? We mm -hmm. ask in faith, according to the book of Galatians chapter 5, we receive the Holy Spirit by faith in God's promise, and that coming upon power will happen. So is there a second experience with the Holy Spirit after conversion? Yeah, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and mm. I'd say probably today I'm on my eighth. So, <laughs> um, you know, your mileage may vary, but as often as we ask for that coming upon power, the Lord will give us that power 
to uh, manifest spiritual gifts, to be able to uh, share the love of Jesus, to be able to, uh, uh, again, have uh, wisdom and the power to be able to endure trials and tribulations, that power to live the Christian life yeah. is necessary. And that's really what Paul was getting at in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 when he said, uh, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power that I, the, the life that I lead in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself mm-hmm. for me. Uh, the Christian life is something we do for God. It is something that the Lord does in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Which then, bringing it back to the question, did Adam and Eve have that ongoing fellowship with the Spirit and the Son and the Father, thus allowing them to live the kind of life they knew before the fall? Or is this a new work of God that's making it possible for us to live that kind of nature again? Now, because we're not told in Scripture... We can't be dogmatic. I'm not going to share my opinion because it is and will continue to be only that until we see it personally. You can ask Adam when you see him. But the point being made is just that. When it comes to what we now know and what we will know forever, that's the question. Is it restoring us to where we started, or is it introducing us to something new? And again, you can take which one. We've make, made a decision, but because Scripture doesn't tell us, then we're not going to uh, basically emphasize that point. We'll let you be Bereans, study the matter, and understand what you have in the Holy Spirit today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, as far as what we have uh, the Holy Spirit in us in heaven, uh, I don't see any reason uh, why not. Uh, In fact, uh, we are told that uh, Jesus' uh, promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit would uh, would be uh, the the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Second John chapter one and verse two, uh, the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of truth. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, Jesus said that I will never leave you and never forsake you. There'll be no break, if you will, in that relationship. Mm. So yeah, I do believe we will be filled with the Holy Spirit continually and in, in an uninterrupted way in heaven itself. Mm. Right. It'll just be a perfect relationship. And, yeah. you know, conversely, I'll rush in where uh, uh, angels fear to tread. Uh, It would seem to me if Adam and Eve were perfect in their relationship with God and had unbroken fellowship in their relationship with God, it would not just be with one member of the Trinity, although Jesus walked with them in the the cool of the day. Uh, That seems to be the physical manifestation Mm -hmm. of God to them. But it would be very strange indeed if they didn't have a relationship with their Heavenly Father and understood who He is. It would also be a very strange thing since we are already told in Genesis chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit was part and parcel of the creation, literally brooding over the waters, yep. that they wouldn't, would not have had an, an understanding and relationship with the Holy Spirit in a perfect sense as well. Mm. Uh, when they died, they died spiritually, not just the death process physically began. Yep. They also died spiritually, which means something that was alive is no longer there and operative. Mm. You know, And so when they turned their back on God, that connection with the Holy Spirit, without whom... Um, we can't even cry out, Abba, Father, according to uh, Romans chapter 8, Mm. verse 15. Uh, I I really believe they had that relationship with the Holy Spirit in their innocent state. Uh, None of us know what an innocent state is all about because we were all born in sin as a result of being related to Adam and Eve. But they did have that perfect relationship, that perfect unbroken fellowship with God in the garden. So, Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Well, we covered Rod and Alex, your questions. Thank you for 
for those? There is an aspect of Alex's question. Uh, he wants, and I'll just address it briefly. He wants yeah. to know, will we see the Holy Spirit? No, being a spirit is to be a non-visible entity. But will he interact with us in some way? He has the full capacity to take forms as he chooses. Mark 1, 9 is a perfect example of that. You know, I differ a little bit on that in this respect. Uh, we will not see the Holy Spirit in that he is a spirit of grant your point there. But it's really interesting in uh, Revelation chapter 4, when John is brought before the heavenly throne, uh, one of the aspects that he sees is the uh, sevenfold lampstand, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, that doesn't mean that there are, you know, the one kind of kooky TV evangelist says that there's there's a trinity, there's a nine entity because of the sevenfold spirit of God. Mm -hmm. But it's really sevenfold. It just is a picture of perfection. It it harkens back to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, where it speaks about the spirit of the Lord will be upon the Messiah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That's the seven aspects uh, manifested perfectly in Jesus when he came. That's what's being manifested there. But it was visible to John. The Holy Spirit's ministry is uh, bringing light and truth to people was visible in that sevenfold lampstand. Which was, of course, accommodating his Jewish background that the aspects of the Trinity in the presence of God, you had the menorah in the Holy of Holies, the table of showbread representing the Son, and, of course, the Father who was held behind a veil at the mercy seat. So the aspects in which John was giving a revelation of God, much like with Ezekiel, which we're going to be discussing here tonight, uh, it's not as if... God's glory was limited to that swirling vortex of fire, but he was reminded of the presence of God as he was revealed to Moses and reminding him, I'm still with you even in Babylon. Yeah, and you know, again, we think about the, uh, the uh, baptism of Jesus. Uh, how can the invisible spirit of God uh, be perceived as coming upon Jesus? came in the form of a dove. So Yeah, he can take a form so, if he chooses. So if the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself in some visible way, in heavenly glory, you can do that. Yeah, so, and yeah. also note, seeing with the Father specifically in mind, notice that we'll see his face. We'll be able to experience the glory of God for all that he is. Right. But because, again, spirit is a non-visible entity, we'll just note that. Will I get to see the spirit? Does he have, like, uh, brown hair or something? It's, no, spirit. Remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like asking, you know, uh, you know, what does the number nine smell like? You know. <laughs> So just, just clarifying that. Yeah, it sends so, nine of what? Yeah, <laughs> Boom. Our, our brains kind of get blown. But uh, the nice thing is we're also told in 1 Corinthians 13 that um, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part that we'll know fully, even as we're fully known. Yeah. That includes a full knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is and what his ministry is in our right. lives. Right. Yeah, there can't, you go. can't wait. Yeah, can't wait. Well, again, Rod and Alex, thank you for, for your questions. Great questions on the Holy Spirit and great answers. Good job. Brothers? Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep you around, I think. Yes, absolutely. High uh, fives all around. High fives all around. If I could reach you yeah. across the table, yeah. which I can't. Uh, question from uh, Robert. He said, good evening, brothers. Good evening to you as well. Thank you, Robert, for being part of the broadcast here. Uh, his question is about the attributes of God. Um, one of the attributes of God being that he's full of compassion and merciful, which leads to a sort of question and comment, which is, if God is compassionate and full of mercy, should we pray for God's compassion for our nation? and pray for mercy instead of judgment. I know many believers pray for judgment, but I remember when I needed mercy, not judgment. That doesn't mean sin isn't sin, but um, it doesn't need to be dealt with, but I think we need to pray for God's mercy because it, said, it says it's his kindness, the kindness of God, that leads us to 
repentance. So when we pray for our nation and right. indeed the world, do we pray for mercy? Do we pray for judgment? What do we pray for? The purpose of prayer is not for us to get God to do things. It's to line us with what God is doing. Right. So if, and this is what brings us back to the example in Jeremiah, when God told Jeremiah no longer to pray for their good, to stop literally praying for their mercy, because what? Judgment was coming. Because the United States is in a state of, isn't in a state of judgment before God, we do align ourselves with the heart of God by praying for mercy, because that's what's currently being shown. But if, on the other hand, it comes a time where the United States is being judged, still in the future, we do ourselves a disservice by praying against what God is doing. The point and emphasis is just that. Yeah, you know, I think our default position, obviously, is to look at people through the lens of mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one judge of all the earth who will do what is right. We're not him. Uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, if God doesn't judge the United States soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and so on. And, and, you know, I get what people are saying with all of that, but it's almost like we're taking the judgment seat of God and saying to God, uh, you need to do this now. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just telling you as your advisor, well, you know, I've discovered something when I've tried to advise God uh, in my prayer life. Um, you know, he doesn't really take my suggestions. Uh, the best thing for me to do is to trust God to do what he does best. And he is a righteous judge, and he will judge uh, with righteous judgment at exactly the right time. I think our default position needs to be uh, one of mercy, uh, because that's certainly uh, the way we would like uh, God to deal with us. You know, it reminds me of what James said in James chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, Forever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've been a tran become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when I pray for people who might irritate me, uh, my default position needs to be pray for mercy because mm. I'd like to receive mercy from God. Uh, when I think about politicians uh, who are advocating things that I feel are not just uh, detrimental to the economy, but actually borderline satanic, mm. like uh, abortion up to the, the, the point of birth, you know, that, that to me is infanticide. Yeah. Um, you know, there's an outrage that I feel in all of that, but I pray that God would touch the hearts of these politicians and let them know what they're really doing and, mm -hmm. and weigh the consequences of their actions, that God would show them mercy. Yeah. And for me, I guess the, the, the thing that, that can sometimes keep me from going too far in that direction is uh, remembering what it was like before I was a believer. Right. If God had given me the judgment that I deserved for the things that I said about him and the stumbling block I was to his people and so on, uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Yeah. But uh, God had mercy on me, uh, such mercy that he opened my eyes to understand the gospel and having yeah. a relationship with his son. So I, I always try to remember, you know, God, you showed uh, mercy to me. Mercy triumphed over judgment in my case. Yeah. Uh, when I think about world events, when I think about uh, irritating or even provocative people, uh, you know, glorifying Satan at the Grammys or whatever, mm -hmm. I just pray for mercy on them because 
you know, it's, it's as Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't realize the implications uh, of what's happening right. there. Now, they, I don't doubt they do it willfully. I don't doubt that they do it in an angry sense. I don't doubt, you know, that, say, some of the intellectual atheists that you deal with on a regular uh, basis, Sean, or even the, you know, the, uh, the uh, members of, of cults and isms and religions that are purposely deceiving people and know they're deceiving people to lead them astray. It's very easy to look at that purveyor of those false doctrines and uh, want to lower the boom. But uh, you know, my two cents worth is, Lord, just open their eyes to be able to see and understand mm-hmm. what your truth is all about. And Lord, if you think they're beyond all of that, that's your business. Yep. I'll leave that with you. I'll leave the judgment side to you. Me, I'm going to pray for mercy. Because like you mentioned, Sean, one of the things about prayer is it doesn't change God's mind, but it does change my heart when I pray. It's really hard for me to, say, maintain bitterness and anger towards someone when I'm praying for them. Yeah. Uh, you, you really got to work at it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it can, Boy, I've tried. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, believe me, sometimes I've done more than try, but you know, sooner or later, when you're in that attitude of prayer in the presence of God, he's going to change your heart about people. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus gave us a warning about the last days that I always try to keep in the back of my mind. In Matthew 24, he said, because lawlessness has increased, the love of most will grow cold. Mm-hmm. Now, he said most. Uh, that, that means that it's uh, definitely a danger, and yeah. it's definitely a pervasive danger, and it's a personal danger. And I don't want to be one of those people uh, that uh, is among the most whose hearts grow cold. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's been said, a healthy life is the best revenge. If I really want to get even with people or drive me crazy or irritating me or you know, doing things that I consider to be immoral, illegal, unethical, or even flat-out satanic, mm. uh, the best thing I can do is rise above and pray for them. Yeah. Amen. And pray for God's mercy on them, right. because the more I pray for that mercy, the more my heart becomes more receptive to mercy. So I'm really ministering to myself mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. But if, on the other hand, you see someone as a direct object of God's wrath, don't pray for it to stop. They've been given every chance possible until that point. You say, oh, God, I know they're dead now, but if possible, could you redeem them even in that state of separation from you? That prayer is not going to mean anything. Well, after they've died, sure. Yeah. Here, mm-hmm. life is uh, where eternity makes up its mind. Uh, yeah. You know, but as long as we're on this side of eternity, there's always hope, mm-hmm. uh, especially even uh, not only for, but especially for even the, the hardest nuts to crack. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so good. And like you said, it's great. It's humbling to remember that we, you know, three of us are only here by the grace of God. You know, we could, we're here because God's opened our eyes to the truth of who He is. Yeah. And that's by His grace. Yeah. You know, we could be out there, we could be an atheist, we could be, it's God's grace. It's not because we were smarter or because we, you know, it was His <laughs> grace bad. and calling. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. myself. Yeah, um, God didn't need us in the kingdom. We're not a credit to it, right. but uh, we're objects of His mercy. So yeah. mercy triumphs over judgment. It needs to triumph over judgment, I think, in our hearts mm. as well. Because yeah. God will do a, a very good job of judging people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's got that. <laughs> yeah. He's got that covered. We can leave that to Yeah, him. we're going to talk a bit about that tonight in our study in Ezekiel because, uh, you know, that's one of the things that God communicates. Mm. 60 times in the book of Ezekiel, God says, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Oof. And in context, uh, and I'm I'm willing to be corrected on this, but in all 60 instances, 
the context of it is God manifesting his righteous judgment. Mm. So, you know, he, he's got it. Yeah. 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 Amen. Revelation six and nine, what gets the world's attention plagues. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, true. Go. That's true. Robert, great question. I hope that helped you out. That was um, good stuff right there for sure. I hope that helps you in your prayer life as you sift through those things, mercy and judgment and compassion. Uh, great question and thank you for it. Uh, question and comment from Craig. Um, this is an interesting perspective. He says, we would never have uh, someone who isn't a Christian in any kind of ministry to reach the unreached. So my question is, in regarding uh, the Jesus, Jesus Movement movie, how is it that non-Christians are being used in main roles? Am I overthinking this? He asked. So do you see an issue with that? So who's the non-Christian? Oh, Kelsey Grammer has yeah. made a profession of faith in Christ. Okay. Yeah, but the idea that, you know, maybe uh, some one of those uh, gaffers who go up in the tool belts may not know the Lord, how they be, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, Get out. Key, key grip. <laughs> That's okay, that level. No, the concern I think that a lot of people have, and this can maybe tie it into something a bit more direct, say, for example, former Christians who have had meaningful ministries or dis, um, disgraced Christians whose ministries have been invalidated as a result of some secret lifestyle that was going on behind the scenes, we ask, how could God use somebody in this way so powerfully to do so much of so much glorification of himself in this world and them not belong to him, which I think is the first mistake. When we ask ourselves, you know, the world is the Lord's and all the fullness of it, does that include the ownership over those who knowingly rebel against him? And the answer is also yes. Satan isn't setting up his separate kingdom in the sense that, I know that there is a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light, but in the sense that there's this dominion of Satan that God just doesn't touch. He doesn't use the enemies of evil to accomplish, or the enemies, those who are evil, to accomplish good. Nothing could be further from the truth. God confounds the wisdom of this world. He uses the plots of the enemy against him. Mm. He In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, sings this, with his own arrows, he took their heads off. Mm. And that's a real graphic image, but it's an important one to emphasize. When we ask, you know, this atheist, um, read a book, you'd know the name if I mentioned him, but it was an individual who was examining the nature of secularism and the philosophical arguments made by atheists, he himself is an agnostic, but he's mm. like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm. And you need to at least give these people from a religious worldview enough credit. I'm an agnostic. I don't know. But they are actually standing on something, and you're pretending it's not there. Yeah. That can be quoted in order to make a finer point. It doesn't mean that, oh, I, I can't touch those filthy pagan pages just because they made a valid point doesn't mean that that's going to be in any way glorifying to God. If anything else, it can be a, another layer to ministry. When I'm teaching the junior high and high schoolers, even the grade schoolers now, most of the people that I quote to them as evidence for Jesus rising from the dead are atheists mm. because they have to admit to these things. They have to acknowledge historical facts. So if somebody, anybody, regardless of their standing with God, does something for God's glory— God is glorified. We don't have to be worried about, but the attention's on that person, and that's going to invalidate the impact of the ministry. Mm. Nothing can be further from the truth. God specializes in making mousetraps out of the things they tried to build to trap him, if you understand the metaphor. So 
keep in mind the fact that God isn't thwarted by the existence of people who don't like him. Mm. In fact, if anything, they are as much an asset to those in ministry. The only thing they lose is rewards, is the benefit of being a part of it and knowing who's doing it. So there is something to grieve when people who don't know the Lord are seeing him do amazing things through their lives, being Mm. an impact in our culture and our world today for the gospel. You know, James D.Z. Dunn, not a Christian, as he stands, he will be an object of God's wrath right. on Judgment Day. But man, has his name been mentioned a lot in Christian circles, especially in apologetics. Because when you state in an, a crowd of liberals and atheists that the historical death of Jesus is as historical fact as anything ever can be, mm. that bears just as much testimony as Paul the Apostle when he penned the same words in 1 Corinthians 15. The only difference is atheists now have to listen to that, Mm. and they have to deal with it, because that's one of their tribe. Mm. So the point being made is just that. Don't get, uh, I I won't uh, make this uh, too derogatory, but get all riled up over the fact that non-Christians can be used for Christ-like purposes. The point of emphasis is Christ is glorified. And even Paul the Apostle said, there are, and this is uh, 2 Corinthians 1, I believe, people who preach out of envy, he, people who preach, it was Philippians, Philippians, right? Yes. right. Yeah. People who preach out of shame, people who preach out of a desire to add burden to my chains. Mm. And what did Paul say? Gospel's preached. Yeah, yeah. Christ is preached. Yeah. That's what we should care about. So if mm. the actors don't all fit the bill, that just adds to the irony. But if we're asking the question, is God using us? It's the same ultimate goal. Yeah, I'll, mm. I'll wait in another controversial point. Mm. Uh, you know, Acting by definition is pretending. Um, A friend of mine knew the famous Hollywood actor Steve McQueen, Mm. uh, who once said to him, uh, Keith, whatever you do, never trust anyone who pretends, makes their living pretending to be somebody else. Um, In a sense, acting is, uh, you could say, it is a a misrepresentation of the truth Mm. because the person acting is not that person, Right. right? Uh, if you accept the premise that acting is an art form and that that person is representing another person, um, then, you know, then, then fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think uh, there's a problem with it. Just because, you know, say, for instance, uh, you know, for sake of, uh, of argument, Chris Evans really isn't Captain America. Mm. He, he really isn't a super soldier. What? You know, he can't you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound or someone playing Superman. doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it because you understand that it's a fiction going in here. You're not watching a documentary. You're watching a fictional presentation, which is fine. Where it gets a little dicey, like I I mentioned, uh, you know, the the whole idea of Kelsey Grammer playing Chuck Smith, Mm. guy I I knew. You know, well, I'm willing to accept willing suspension of disbelief that Kelsey Grammer is, in fact, Chuck Smith. I know he is not. I know he is presenting that role uh, on the screen for uh, a dramatic purpose and so on. You know, if I understand that, then that's fine. You know, uh, if if I just suddenly say, well, I, I can't wait for Kelsey Grammer to come and start teaching me the Bible because I know he's like Chuck Smith. Um, yeah. No, he's playing a role, and, and he'd be the first one to tell you that. Where it gets dicey for me, and uh, yeah, I'm still trying to work through all of the implications of all of this, 
is uh, when someone plays the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and, and this mm. is why it's dicey for me. In the Ten Commandments, we're told that you were never to make a graven image of God. Mm. Uh, the golden calf incident, it was not that the people of Israel were worshiping Apis, the bull god. Uh, they called that bull that they made, the golden calf, Yahweh. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Because to them, that was the rep, that was something they could see, a representation of God. Mm. And we know what happened. God says, you're never to do that. Why? Because the minute we make a representation of God, we've made something by definition less than yeah. God. Right. Uh, it's not God. It is less than him. And by definition, it is a misrepresentation of who God is. Fascinating how in the gospel accounts, we never see a physical description of Jesus. Mm. They, they tell you all about what he did, right. they tell you all about what he said, they tell you about where he was born, they tell you about the cities that he went to, they tell you about his interaction with all these people, but never once do they say, well, he was about, oh, you know, five foot ten, and, and mm. uh, you know, he had shoulder-length hair and a, you know, a dark beard and, and so on. Mm. There's no description of that, and I think that's purposeful mm. because they understood who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be God, and they were very concerned about breaking that commandment, mm. about making an image of God. Yeah. Uh, you know, that this conversation always comes up with the, uh, the uh, dreaded uh, Shroud of Turin, uh, because a lot of the images that we see of Jesus were borrowed from the images on the Shroud uh, of Turin and so forth. Mm. And if you buy the idea that that was Jesus, well, then we have an image of what his face looked like and so on. Well, that's mm. a very uh, controversial thing to leap into. Yeah. Where this gets dicey are uh, things like, say, uh, for instance, uh, movies like Jesus of Nazareth, mm -hmm. uh, or you know, in a horrible way, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, or mm. you know, let's put it out on the table, The Chosen. Mm. You know, to me, the most controversial thing about The Chosen is that you have an actor who is playing Jesus. Yeah, it, it kind of blows right through the commandment about making graven images. Mm. You presented an image of Jesus on the screen. Uh, the uh, the producer of, uh, and we talked a little bit about this on my Twitter site, the producer of The Chosen said that 90% of The Chosen comes straight from Scripture, but the other 10% does not. Mm. And he admittedly said, that's when we get into dangerous territory. Mm. Okay? okay, I would agree. Yeah, yeah you are in dangerous <laughs> territory yeah. when you do something like this. Uh, because what you're representing is not Jesus. It's someone pretending to be Jesus. Mm. And that is full of problems mm. to me. Uh, you know, if you don't get it right 100% of the time, you've presented a false Jesus. Mm. The fact that you have an actor who's not Jesus kind of puts you in that territory. A few years back, there was a popular uh, radio program. It was a talk show, a unique talk show that was airing on Sunday mornings. It was called the Jesus Christ Radio Program. Mm. And the premise of the program, uh, a uh, uh, talk show host in LA, uh, you know, said, hey, wouldn't it be a kick, you know, if we could interview Jesus? And he had a friend who was going to seminary and he said, how about if you come in and answer questions just like you were Jesus? You know, play play the part, play the character, if you, you if you will. And the guy said, oh yeah, that might, you know, and he did it a couple of times on uh, his uh, weekday talk show. And it was so popular, it emerged into a nationally worldwide syndicated program where this guy would answer questions first person yeah. as Jesus. Well, 
you know, I'm Jesus and I would tell you this and this and this, yeah. you know, or, oh yeah, I remember that time with my mother Mary and we did this and this and this. And, you know, every time I listened, I'd get this feeling in the pit of my stomach yeah. because I was like, man, as soon as you say in scripture, thus saith the Lord, mm -hmm. you're prophesying, yeah. you're speaking for God, yeah. you're being his mouthpiece, if you will. And if you do, 100% of what you say has to be accurate, mm. or you are, by definition, a false prophet. 90% yeah. you get right, 10% yeah. you get wrong, still you're a false prophet. Mm. And uh, you, know, I, you know, I think if people like watch a program like The Chosen and it's for entertainment purposes, okay, you know, it's not my cup of tea. I remember watching a few of the episodes, and I just had that 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 check in my spirit about it, just this kind of, you know, mm. uh, you know, I see the guy go, you know, it's almost like that old saw about, you know, I know Jesus, I work with Jesus, and mm. you, my friend, are not Jesus, mm. you know. Um, yeah, not yeah. that they're they're not trying to do an excellent job or have their hearts in the right place. Yeah, I'm not being critical in that that respect. But the minute you step up and say, I'm representing, not just representing, I am Jesus on the screen. I'm yeah. speaking first person in his name. Yeah. To me, that's really, really dicey. And uh, you're really on some shaky ground. And if you start saying things or have Jesus do things that he never said or did 10% mm. of the time, well, I think you're on really, really shaky ground. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's going to stand before his own master, do his own master, he stands or falls, and, and uh, the people who uh, present this sort of thing um, will give an account before God today. But people ask, you know, oh, don't you, you know, they're so enthusiastic about it, don't you love that? You know, right. you're a pastor, don't you? I say, no, I, I really don't, um, you know, and, and for that reason. Yeah. Uh, the minute uh, a person presents Jesus, I worry about the uh, making a graven image. I look at the contrast of the Gospels where they don't present Jesus uh, in a physical way. Yep. Uh, I look at the add-ons and the additions in The Chosen that some are pretty disturbing to me, yeah. you know, as far as things Jesus never said yeah. or wouldn't say. Um, so, you know, count the cost, think about it, pray about it. I'm not going to say to somebody, uh, who's a believer, absolutely don't watch it. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, you can't uh, be encouraged, you know, to think about Jesus and think about the Word because, you know, I'll get letters and people will say, that's what it's done for me. Great. Yeah. If that's the fruit that's come out of it, you know, wonderful. But consider the other side of it. You know, consider the, the as, as uh, Jenkins, the producer, said, uh, the dangerous side of that yeah because uh you know deception doesn't show up on your doorstep you know dressed up like a refugee from an underwood deviled ham can right. uh satan disguises himself as an angel of light mm. uh he always uh present his servants present themselves as ministers of righteousness we're told yeah. in the scriptures so we have to be very very careful and weigh out both those sides before you decide whether you're going to go whole hog into uh, becoming a fan of the chosen yeah yeah and there's a big difference between a non-believer doing a good job as an actor playing a christian figure yeah and a christian accurately or inaccurately maybe misrepresenting a false teacher 
I'd have more problem with someone doing a good job portraying Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell than I would a non-Christian portraying Chuck Smith or Greg Laurie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, it's interesting, the, uh, the guy that plays Jesus in The Chosen is also going to have a uh, fairly major role in The Jesus Revolution. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He plays uh, Lonnie Frisbee, who's uh, yeah. the, uh, the first hippie yes. uh, that, uh, that Chuck Smith met, yeah. which doesn't mean I'm going I'm to boycott it. I'm not going to see it because this guy's... Right. I feel a lot more comfortable about a good actor like him playing Lonnie Frisbee, yeah. who makes no claims to divinity, <laughs> right. than I do seeing He's somebody stand up scripture. and saying, okay, you know, because I think Jesus is just in a whole different category than any other man uh, you'd ever want to betray yeah. or portray. I think we'd know. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's where it is. Yeah, so, very good. So uh, I'm not down on you if you like The Chosen, but that's why I'm not into it. Yeah, so, and that, yeah. That's, that certainly makes sense. Yeah, well, Craig, thank you for your question. We, we had a couple of good spins on that question. I guess the overall thing is to be discerning, right? Yeah, be discerning. exactly. Yeah, of all these things. Message, not messenger. Yes, the message, not the messenger. Very good. Very good. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show here. We have a, another question from from Mike. Hey, Mike, thank you for your question and for being part of the broadcast. Um, he says, I've never had any experience back to the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of a theme today. I've never had any experience of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit except when I got saved during the first month or so, and I've never had it since. How can I get that relationship back? How I've do you ask that relationship? I guess I, I, guess I would say... Um, you've got to define what a relationship with the Holy Spirit right. is. Yep. Um, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? How yep. can we recognize if the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives? Yep. I will start out by saying the worst way to measure the reality and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is feelings. You know, I've got the, I had this feeling yep. and uh, boy, you know that, I know the Holy Spirit is moving on because I had this feeling mm -hmm. was going on in my heart. Well. Feelings change. Uh, you know, if you base any relationship on feelings, uh, you're kind of setting yourself up for disaster. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I've counseled so many couples who will say, oh, uh, you know, we're seeking a divorce. Well, why? Well, we just fell out of love. Yeah. Well, I had a little probing on that, and they said, well, I just don't feel that same giddy sort of over-the-top feeling that I had when I first met this person. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, kind of uh, the old line from Gordon Lightfoot. I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone, and right. I just can't get it back. Uh, and, and unfortunately, some people will apply that same uh, standard to their relationship with the Holy Spirit. They mm. define it as a feeling, a sensation, yeah. an experience. Yeah. But uh, the Bible says that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, how do you know the Holy Spirit is really in you? He's alive, and he produces fruit. What is that fruit? It's love joy, peace, patience, mm. kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, there are aspects of that ninefold fruit of the Spirit uh, that uh, we look at and we go, yeah, you know, I like the joy part of it, you know, <laughs> but patience is also part of it. Self-control is mm. also a part of it. So I would say, you know, if you were in a situation where you found yourself going, uh, down the line towards temptation, and you found the ability to go, no, I'm going to turn away. The Holy Spirit was working in you. Mm. Anything you'd add to that? Oh, it's like asking, you know, our honeymoon was just so wonderful, but, uh, you know, my feelings towards my wife aren't the same then, so can we get married again? Mm. Silly. Understand the ongoing reality of the Holy Spirit is the fact that he's there, not that you feel or react or 
expect of him things that his word never said he'd do. If we ask the question, what gives us the assurance the Holy Spirit still is there, even when I'm not uh, interacting with him in some physically notable ways, it's all down to the promises of God. And if we understand the Holy Spirit is as much God, then the promise being made, I will never leave you and forsake you. He who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. He who comes to me, I will in no ways cast out and more then that is what I need to base my quiet times with the Lord on to know he's still there mm. in between times where I have tangible reminders that he's working. Just make sure that your understanding of God and these, uh, I guess, ongoing relationship with him is just as biblical as when you started, that you understand that you come to him as a sinner. That's how you start. You understand that you still are a sinner and are being sanctified. That's a process. The difficult part of fruit bearing is that most of it happens underground. Yeah. Or I guess vegetables, but you get the point. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, uh, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his children by the Holy Spirit. We cry out Abba father. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. If you understand the Bible at all, you know that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Uh, if God touches you during a particular message or you feel drawn even to a program like this, cause you want to hear God's word, the Holy Spirit's working right. in you. You know, sometimes I think we miss out because we narrowly define what a relationship with the Holy Spirit is all about based yeah. upon someone else's experience or based upon an initial experience that we had. And God wants us to grow beyond that. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, yeah. Mike, that's a great question. And I hope that helped you out. I hope that helped a lot of um, our listeners. We're out of time for today. Um, stick around if, if you would like to. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel for our service tonight. So if you stick around on the same channels, uh, you can catch that Bible study in about half an hour. If not, we'll see you again on A Reason for Hope. God bless you guys. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.